You are listening to KCRW Berlin, and I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, the host of Common Ground. This is our station's final week on air, and it's time we share with you the story behind the story. So stay tuned for part one of a special two-part episode with the crew of KCRW Berlin's other talk show, Studio Berlin. Welcome to this combined episode of Common Ground and Studio Berlin. I'm your host, Sylvia Cunningham. This is the first of our two-part special before KCRW Berlin goes off air on Sunday. We've produced more than 60 episodes of our current affairs show, Studio Berlin, and today our executive producer and I are saying goodbye along with a few of the show's familiar voices. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. On today's show, we are looking at Germany's Grundgesetz, or basic law. Today we will discuss a sensitive topic for Europeans, and that is asylum seekers. But how can Berlin become a a team that plays for the championship? All of them join us now. In the studio with me is KCRW Berlin's program director, Soraya Sahardi-Nelson, one of the founding co-hosts of Studio Berlin, who now hosts our newest talk show, Common Ground. Also with us is Monica Müller-Kroll, the executive producer of Studio Berlin. Welcome to you both. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. And joining us via phone is Sumi Somaskanda, who hosted our very first episode of Studio Berlin, and of course, many since, as well as Eric Kirschbaum, a former host and more recently a regular guest on the show. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. It's great to have you all here. On this two-part goodbye special, we're going to be talking about the history of KCRW Berlin and American radio in the German capital. We'll highlight some of our favorite Common Ground and Studio Berlin moments. And of course, we will reflect on this challenging year and what we can expect in 2021. But let's start with a topic that is on everyone's mind, COVID-19. The Association for the German Language just recently announced the Wort des Jahres, or Word of the Year, and it is Corona Pandemie, which I think comes as absolutely no surprise to anyone. But Sumi, tell me, what is your personal Word of the Year? Something a little different or also Corona Pandemie? So mine is one that's been circulating here in Germany, um, Querdenke, which if you translate it to English literally, it means lateral thinkers, which might not mean a lot to many people, but it's come to be a catch-all phrase for anti-lockdown and anti-mask protests and protesters here in Germany. And it is one that has captivated me because it's also really become this umbrella movement for a motley crew of people. So anti-vaxxers, conspiracy theorists, um, QAnon followers, also hippies and holistic medicine um, practitioners, but also more troublingly, right-wing extremists. Um, They actually tried to storm the Reichstag in one protest over the summer, and they've held a number of protests and demonstrations across the country. And I think it's just remarkable to see how much traction they've been able to gain. So that is why that term really has um, stuck with me. And I should say as well that the far-right party, the AFD here in Germany, we're ahead of election year next year. And um, this party has been able to really tap into this group of Querdenke as as a new voter base. So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with this group. Absolutely a story to watch in 2021. Soraya, as a former war correspondent, you have navigated a lot of challenges throughout your career. How does the pandemic stack up? It's worse almost than anything else I've covered. I mean, at least with war zones or conflict zones, you sort of know where to avoid the danger, whereas this virus that we can't see 
not knowing how other people are dealing with it or whether they're protecting themselves against it. It makes it just a giant unknown. Never mind trying to run radio shows or a radio station from your individual homes. That was also uh, quite a challenge. So I have found this year to be definitely the most challenging of my radio and my newspaper career. Wow. Um, Eric, what about you? You're a freelance journalist. You're writing for a number of publications, including the LA Times and the South China Morning Post. How has the pandemic changed your way of working? Yeah, it's um, thrown a wrench in the spanner for sure. It's made life a lot more complicated trying to organize things. The Los Angeles Times is struggling as well, so they're taking a lot fewer stories than they used to take, which is unfortunate. Um, But life goes on, and the South China Morning Post is taking more stories than before. They seem to be very interested in what's going on in Germany. So, Gluck and Ungluck, there's always a, a silver lining out there somewhere. And Sumi, you are a reporter and presenter at Germany's international broadcaster Deutsche Welle. Soraya mentioned that she has a radio studio going in her apartment. Do you have a television studio going in yours? <laughs> Thankfully, no. I don't know what that would look like. It involve a lot of lights, I guess, in my home studio. No. So TV, as most people will know, it involves a team of people really working together, usually in close proximity. So that'd be difficult to replicate at home. We do have, you know, a studio, a technical crew, a big newsroom where before the pandemic, we're usually in close, you know, conversation shaping newscasts. And the reality of a pandemic is that TV becomes pretty hard. But Deutsche Welle took very stringent precautions early on from hygiene measures to social distancing to mask wearing and also to having entire teams working at home on standby in case there was a positive case in the newsroom. And that has allowed broadcasting to continue with by now pretty much the same output as we had pre-pandemic. The one thing that I do miss is one, having our lovely uh, colleagues in makeup do the, you know, makeup and hair for you, which is now something that we as presenters take on ourselves, Um, certainly not to the level of professionality that our colleagues could. And, um, you know, we usually would have guests come and sit in the studio with us to analyze the story. And uh, now we really only speak to people via Skype or Zoom, just like Soraya was mentioning. So it's changed but luckily it hasn't changed so dramatically. That is one great advantage of the radio profession, not having to do makeup. And also it's fun seeing on Deutsche Welle the way that they have adapted because they have those glass panels right between the guests. Here on the radio end, um, not all our viewers know, but we've adjusted as well. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic when I was interviewing people doing Vox Pops, man on the street interviews, I connected a vacuum extension to my mic so that we could get (laughs) (laughs) some, (laughs) some great inventions have come from this time. But on a more serious note, the crisis has, of course, upended our lives here at the station. And due to the long-term effects of the pandemic, KCRW Berlin will be going off the air on Sunday. So we do want to take a walk down memory lane. Our very first broadcast as KCRW Berlin on 104.1 FM was on October 16th, 2017. And Monica will take us back there. In fact, KCRW Berlin is the last chapter of an American radio tradition in Berlin that goes back 75 years to the end of World War II. It's time to open AFN's Germany Notebook. Information. The English-speaking American Armed Forces Network Berlin entertained U.S. troops and Germans who were exposed to American radio for the first time. German language programming offered by RIAS, or Radio in the American Sector, followed a year later. 
It was an important voice for freedom in the West as well as for East Berlin and elsewhere in the German Democratic Republic. The Great 88 AFN-FM Berlin presents Disco. AFN, meanwhile, was a source of American pop and rock music as well as classical music. It was one of the most popular radio stations in Berlin for many years. Both AFN and RIAS ended their programming in Berlin after reunification in 1990. NPR purchased the frequency from the Voice of America in 2006, which is when independent American public radio began broadcasting in Berlin. You're listening to NPR Berlin 104.1. I'm Monika Müller-Kroll. It's a film about a culture that... It was around this time that I started working for the station, and in 2017, KCRWLA partnered with a group of key donors and NPR fans in Berlin to bring you the station we have now. Thank you, Monica. And let me turn now to Eric. You are the executive director of the RIAS Berlin Commission. Why do you think radio is important to Berlin, and how does RIAS keep that tradition alive now? I think you're right about that. I think um, Berliners, especially West Berliners, have a really intimate relationship with RIAS and radio, American radio. It was sort of the voice of freedom during the Cold War, the free voice for the free world. And um, RIAS was beamed all over East Germany as well. It was an important source of news and information and music for millions of East Germans who were getting the East German state information and they didn't really quite believe it. And RIAS was sort of a breath of fresh air from West Berlin. So the relationship between Germans, especially Berliners, and radio and American radio is really, really deep. It's something you don't see probably anywhere else in the world. And how is RIAS keeping that tradition alive now? After the RIAS um, radio was closed down at the end of the Cold War, the German and American governments created this commission to promote exchanges between American and German broadcast journalists. And about 900 Americans have come to Berlin for fellowships for a few weeks and and over the last 25 years. And about 900 Germans have gone to the U.S. for three-week fellowships to learn more about broadcasting in the U.S. And um, RIAS is a name that's still really, really well known in Germany. A lot of German broadcasters who were probably even born after the Cold War know all about RIAS. And so I think the goal of keeping the spirit of RIAS alive but this commission has worked out pretty well. Um, it's ironic that a lot of Americans today don't really know what RIAS was, but once you start explaining to Americans what it was and the effort that the United States put into keeping um, the exchange of information here in Berlin going throughout communist eastern Germany, you just see their eyes light up and you see you see what a special thing RIAS was during the Cold War. And it really was the free voice of the free world. It's something people look forward to listening to every single day, and that's where they got their information about what was going on in the West. It's also where they got to listen to rock music from the West. They would record the American bands playing their newest albums overnight, and that was sort of an ex- a currency for East Germans to trade in cassette tapes that they recorded from listening to Rias overnight. Soraya, you came to Berlin as a bureau chief at NPR. Do you think radio plays a different role here in Berlin than in other places you covered for the network? Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be a funny comparison, but I think it's as important here as it is or was in Afghanistan, where it was something that people actually really consume in order to get their news, to get their entertainment. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the German government actually funds quite a bit of media here. So it hasn't had that downhill trajectory that we see in the United States and elsewhere. 
So, yeah, I definitely think it plays a very strong role here, even in, across Germany. I mean, my mother listens to the radio still and young people still listen to the radio, although they do consume it in different ways now. You've worked many places in the world. Did you think you'd end up doing radio here? Well, I always thought I would live in Berlin someday, but I have to admit uh, the times where I was really contemplating it, I was a newspaper reporter. So no, I'm considering <laughs> I never even took a radio class in school and NPR was really my first exposure to radio. I was uh, delighted and surprised, shall I say, uh, when I did move here and it was to be bureau chief for the U.S. network. Now, one of those other places you worked was Egypt, and I want to bring in Common Ground senior producer Dina El-Sayed, who worked with Soraya at NPR. Welcome, Dina. Thanks, Sylvia. So how would you compare doing radio here to doing it in the Arab world? When I worked with NPR, it was the summer of 2012. So we were talking peak Arab spring here. It was a very different landscape. The political environment was changing beyond recognition. And a big part of my job was to be on the street, trying not to get arrested by the police or get beaten up by whichever group that was protesting for a very particular reason. And these challenges are not what I face here, but I face different kinds of challenges. And I find that in Egypt at the time, the podcast world was not as vibrant as it is today. So when I would ask for an interview for NPR, I would often have to explain what NPR is. And there was a lot of confusion as to, oh, radio still works? Because in, in Egypt at the time, radio was mostly uh, for music purposes. And I had to explain that I was not a DJ. One different things I find here is when trying to seek interviews with officials, for example, in Egypt, it was a very informal way. So I'd have to ask a friend or a friend or a friend who knows this particular person, and then we'd be able to have an interview with this official. Here, I find it, it's usually through very official uh, channels. And this makes things a lot easier somehow, but it makes it harder in terms of news because this process of applying for an interview takes a lot of time. One thing I found very common between reporting in Egypt and here, and that's Vox Pops, men on the street interviews. These I always found very difficult um, in Egypt because people were um, not very keen on sharing their opinions with a random uh, journalist reporting for a foreign entity because people were mostly um, afraid to be persecuted due to their opinions. And I was really surprised to find that this is the same element I find the hardest to acquire when reporting in Germany. And I'm pretty sure the reasons are different, but in most times where I was on the street trying to ask people about what they feel about this issue or that issue, even if they are benign things like Christmas markets or Airbnb, I would say, People would hesitate to speak to me, and whenever I would ask for someone's name after they have agreed to give me an interview, there's always a moment or two or three of a long pause before they agree to give me their name. And I think the reasons are protection of privacy, uh, which are different concerns than the average Egyptian interviewee on the street would have, but I was shocked to find that I'd have the same challenge here. That's really interesting. I do find that people are very hesitant to give their name. I, I don't know why that is. Um, and I, I don't know if the reason that people don't want to speak as much now, of course, is microphone in the face. They're wearing a of mask there, you know. But um, yeah, I, I've also found that with the giving the name. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to see if this um, continues after pandemic days are over. Yeah. A question now to everybody. We touched a little bit about how podcasts are changing the landscape with the advent of increased TV offerings and digital media 
Do you think radio is still relevant in Berlin, in your opinion? Maybe, Soraya, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's an increasing challenge. I mean, there's no doubt that the numbers, uh, at least there were the studies that were done last year, there weren't any done this year that I saw, suggest that there's a dip. But again, it's a much slower dip than in the United States. And certainly people who ride in cars or drive their cars, they listen to radio. They're a, a giant audience. And obviously traffic is not going away anytime soon, even though we are working at home more. That certainly has led to the decrease in the United States. And I'm sure that's been the case here. But it is becoming more difficult to make radio relevant because you are able to consume it on your own terms. You don't have to listen to whenever the particular station wants to play a song or wants to play a show. You can just download it to your phone put it on your app, have Alexa store it, whatever the case might be. So it becomes a challenge, I think, for people who run radio stations to remain relevant. Sumi, what do you think? I think one really positive development has been this proliferation of German podcasts as well. So, you know, when podcasts were starting to explode in the U.S., uh, they hadn't really picked up in the German market yet. And because uh, a lot of Germans have turned to podcasts um, either from their regular media providers or from podcasting companies themselves, that has now given radio another new route in society here. The on-demand aspect of how chunks and pieces of stories or entire podcasts are now being delivered to people, I think it at least makes it a lot more accessible to an entire uh, new generation of listeners, especially those who may not be listening in traditional ways. What about you, Eric? You're committed to keeping the tradition of American radio in our consciousness and here in Berlin. What about the, the format? What do you think about radio in Berlin? Yeah, I mean, I love radio. It's really intimate. I mean, there's a German advertisement. It gets into your head and stays there. And I'm really addicted to radio. I just love the way it gets into your brain and the evocative sounds. And it just makes you think. It's sort of like reading a book in a way. You have to imagine the scenery. And I don't know, I think there's also an immediacy to radio that television doesn't quite keep up to. I mean, I listen to it all the time in the car, obviously. But I also really like podcasts, which aren't exactly radio, but I just love the deep dive that podcasts can take on certain stories and issues and really, really get into it. And I just sit there in the car and listen to the end of the podcast, or I just make sure I have it with me when I go on a long walk. So I, I think the, the way radio podcasts are reinventing themselves and coming up with new ideas and new strategies for a changing world, I think is really impressive and hats off to the creativity of radio people who keep us all listening. We're taking a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our newest talk show, Common Ground, as well as some of our favorite moments on air from the past year. Stay tuned. I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into 1A, weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. I'm Marco Werman. Each day, we give you the world. We don't want people driving into the center of London. The world is curious. It's a total chaos in Venezuela right now. The world is surprising. The Australian government is completely clueless. The world is unexpected. The Japanese really have made history today. The world is right here. Join us. Tune in to The World, Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. on KCRW Berlin. 
Welcome back to this special joint edition of Common Ground and Studio Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This is part one of a two-part special, and I'm here in the studio with Common Ground host Soraya Sarhadi-Nelson and executive producer of Studio Berlin, Monica Müller-Kroll. And also with us on the phone are Sumi Somaskanda and Eric Kirschbaum, both hosts and contributors to Studio Berlin, and our senior producer of Common Ground, Dina El-Sayed. So what a year this has been. Obviously a lot of downs, but a lot of ups too. For example, in September, we saw the launch of our flagship talk show, Common Ground. Soraya, how did Common Ground come to be? Well, in a year where very uncivil dialogue has sort of been the mantra, you know, where people, the nastier they can be to each other, the better it seems to be. I felt that it was time for a talk show that actually encouraged civil dialogue and civil discourse so that you can disagree about something, but then you can actually maybe come to some sort of resolution or you can agree to disagree which is, again, an art form that seems to be lost. And so this is sort of the premise we started with. And then we sort of grew it to talk more about transatlantic relations and uh, in the end ended up with a European Recovery Program grant. So we were able to launch. And it's been quite successful, even though it's had a relatively short run because of the unexpected end of the station. Dina, in the first part, you touched on some challenges of producing radio here in Berlin. But what have been the highlights? What are some of your favorite moments from the dozen episodes so far? Well, one of those has to be the very first episode, which asked the question, who is a real Berliner? And it was both for me a highlight and a massive challenge to arrange this event in the midst of a pandemic. So I consider this one of the one of the toughest assignments I've had since I I started working as a journalist and as a producer. Um, But also on a very personal level, I've been in Berlin this month four years ago, and that's the longest time I've been anywhere that is not my home country. And it's a question that I ask myself often and a question that I was asked often. So to produce an, an entire show that aims to finding an answer to this question and exploring so many different opinions and having a very diverse panel on the show, each member of which discussed and reflected on their own experiences as a Berliner, gave me so much food for thought and it stayed with me for a long time. And I still go back to this episode and and re-listen to it occasionally. And I should mention it was a live episode, so she had to organize this again in the time of the pandemic at a theater uh, with, with social distancing. So it was quite the challenge indeed. Soraya, was that also one of your favorite episodes? What's been a highlight for you? I think that was the most stressful episode for me (laughs) was that one because it was live and it was on stage and we were trying to, you know, have the technology work with the film and nothing goes according to plan. And it's always much easier when you're pre-taping a show than when you're doing it live. But um, I would say my favorite episodes, it's tied. It's, It's one dealt with the U.S. presidential election and the other was with transatlantic relations. And I think it was just really interesting how eager the German and American guests on both shows were for those relations to resume. And it just led to a very powerful and intense conversation. But uh, there have been a number of episodes that I, I will remember beyond those. But if I had to pick two, I would say those were the two. And you can find them all wherever you get your podcasts. Common Ground was actually only one of the new shows we introduced this year. When we went into partial lockdown back in March, we also launched a series called The Coronavirus Chronicle, where we spoke with Berliners about how their lives were being affected by the pandemic and how they were navigating this new normal. And Monica, you produced that series. Are there any interviews that have stuck with you? 
Yes, I think there are quite a few. I mean, first of all, it's been it was a lot of fun to produce these interviews since of the partial lockdown. I didn't meet anyone, so you have this intimate phone conversation. I really liked uh, the interviews I did with kids and teenagers. One 12 year old, for example, when I asked him, so what would you do if you could do anything right now? You know, because he had explained how bored he is and stuff and how it's really no fun. And and then he said, I I want to see my friends. I want to have a party with my friends. And that was so sweet. <laughs> and he added something like, you know, it gets lonely without friends. So, <laughs> so that was really sweet. But I also enjoy talking to people all over Europe, like from Austria, Poland or France, Italy. I remember Michaela, who lives in the Austrian Alps and She hadn't seen her boyfriend in like two months, who is a German. So that was kind of a, a sweet story, you know. Yeah, that was great when we expanded it also to all of Europe, basically, just because we were able to compare our experiences. Sumi, you contributed to the Coronavirus Chronicle as well. What insights did you get from your interview? How did the series resonate for you? It resonated deeply. I mean, I got to speak to a young couple who I found really remarkable, um, Anastasia and Philip, and they own a new, very nice bar that's just a few years old here in Berlin. And they had to shut down in March during that initial lockdown phase. And at that same time, they had a baby, their first baby. And we got to hear from Anastasia about what it was like to bring a child into the world uh, during the pandemic. And at the same time, how they then pivoted their business to um, delivering drinks at home and how they plan to get through the year uh, ahead. And these snapshots uh, really gave us an idea of how people privately and professionally were experiencing this pandemic in such unique ways, but also how these experiences were somehow shared. It was something that we could all relate to. So it was, it was moving and also so intimate, I think, to get these views into people's lives in such a difficult time. Absolutely. And we also continued broadcasting our music interview segments Amplified every Saturday. And that also shed some light into how people were adjusting during this time, a very difficult time for musicians. Most people couldn't perform live, but there were some groups that figured out how. Eric, you um, brought us the story of the Swinging Hermlins. Remind us who they are and, and why they are a favorite Berlin phenomenon for you. Yeah, it's a swing band orchestra in Berlin, and they live stream every night at 7 p.m. from their living room. Really interestingly enough, I discovered is that same kind of swing dance music is what helped a lot of musicians in the United States get through the Great Depression. They were playing three or four times a day just to get a few dollars and get by, and that's what the Hermlins are doing. They're playing um, just for donations. Uh, yeah, it's it's rather than sitting around complaining about how coronavirus has destroyed their income, destroyed their gigs, they're just doing something. And they vowed to keep playing every single night until the coronavirus crisis is over. And that's quite a vow to keep, and we'll see if they're able to hold that up. It's um, an impressive track run. We're ready of 260 shows, I think, in a row that they've done. Well, we're going to go out on a little bit of their music. I'm putting on my there is a lot more KCRW Berlin programming to highlight from the past year, and we will do so this Wednesday. So be sure to tune into the second part of this special, where we'll look back at our favorite moments from Studio Berlin, and we'll also look forward to 2021. So thank you so much to everyone for being here. Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, our program director and host of Common Ground. Sumi Somaskanda and Eric Kirschbaum, co-hosts of Studio Berlin. Executive producer of Studio Berlin, Monica Müller-Kroll. And Dina El-Sayed, senior producer of Common Ground. Thank you all. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Have a great week.